Wow. I've heard that song in different ways, but never as amazing as that. Did you enjoy that? That was amazing, wasn't it? Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. Would you please stand? We are going to sing out, use our voices for God. joyful this morning, don't we? God has come to this world, and we are alive, and we have life through him. This is a call to all the dead and disappointed, the to feel like they are done. This is a word to all the ones who feel forgotten, but you are not. We're alive, 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 and we're singing. We're alive, 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 and we're shaking.
for hope. We thank you for your presence, God. God, we thank you that you are perfect and that your timing is perfect in all things. Lord, this morning we come to worship you as, as a congregation, Lord, with our voices in song. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you've made us, God, and for the love that you have for us.
Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James 1, 19. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James 4, 1. seems right to man, but in the end, leads to death. Proverbs 14, 12. The application coming out of all that we looked at last week was to begin to understand the most difficult part of any conflict was seeing our part in it. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Hebrews three thirteen. 
Hey, hon, do you think that I feel I always have to win an argument? Well... Hey, that's not an answer. Actually, that is an answer. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? I invalidate people when I get worked up. Sometimes, yes. When you win an argument, you don't really win anything. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Be, patient. Be devoted to one another in love. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. Honor one another. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Love others. Forgive others as Christ loves and forgives me. You're ready. Can we get out? Can we get out? Can you guys? Yes, we can get out. What can I carry? Yeah, so sincerely, it wasn't a mistake. Some of you are going, I know I've seen that video before. That's the Christmas version of the same video. And it had enough scripture in it and a good enough message to it that we really needed to hear it twice. Because when it comes to this issue of no peace in our lives, the reality is for most of us, no peace comes down to a family issue, doesn't it? That, that's where the lack of peace exists in our lives. I mean, sure, the world seems to be blowing up and there are a lot of problems everywhere, but the reality is for some of us, the thought of showing up at Christmas dinner, you know, we'd we'd rather go be in a war zone because technically we are in a war zone when we show up there. So Jesus wants us to know peace even in our family. He wants us to know peace in what we view to be the most impossible situations in our lives. And for some of us, the most impossible situation is our family of origin or you know, one of our relatives that we just have to deal with. They're there. We have to deal with them. So now I want to kind of narrow the conversation this morning a little bit. For some of us, when this time of year comes, this is what we confront. We confront the empty chair. We think about the person who should be there but isn't there. And maybe your confrontation with the empty chair this year is a death. And that's the part that's going to be painful for you. But for others of us, the empty chair is the person which, with whom we have such a strained relationship, such a broken relationship, that they don't show up or we don't show up anymore. And, and, and this time of year becomes that reminder that as much as we'd love to have peace in our families, there is no peace. And we struggle with that. That reality is there. It's something that's kind of there in, in the background all year long. But this time of year, it really comes out. I'm not talking about the empty chair today. And I know you wish I would because that is huge and it hurts. I'm talking about conflict at a different level. You see, some of us, I think, live. We literally live to be annoyed. Some of us live to be irritated. And the amazing thing is the world provides us ample opportunity for both. There's always someone out there that will serve as that burr in your saddle and will just irritate, can I say it in church, the living snot out of you. I mean, they just bug you. They bug you. The second you see their face, you go, ugh. And that's where we're going to spend some time today, just talking about how do we deal with the irritants in our lives, 
realizing, by the way, that we're probably somebody else's irritant. So I thought I'd hit a few of them for you today. Maybe this guy's in your family. Uh, You know, the guy that just, the energy level never matches. I mean, you know, you're feeling kind of low key. He's boom, big all over the place. And you're like, oh, just take it back a notch or seven. You're killing me. Every family has one of these. Walking encyclopedia, you say something, they correct you, they read an article, they've been on the internet, they know everything about everything. And and as soon as they start, you can feel that rumble inside beginning that you're like, oh my word, do I really have to deal with this? On the opposite end is one of these relatives, you know, the incredibly naive, just the ding dong lights on nobody's home i mean really you're just like and and it's hard to have a conversation because everything you say if you're kind of sarcastic they take everything literally and and you just you just want them once to go ha ha instead of huh you know you, you you'd love that to happen this guy I, unfortunately we don't have one of these in our family the guy that's always glib He's always, you know, everything is surface, everything is funny, everything's, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Or maybe you have this person in your family, Adonis, the person who is just so incredibly narcissistic that any time you start to talk, somehow the story always comes back home. You know, it's, oh, I, 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 can, I can take you there. This, oh, good, yeah. Maybe you have one of those. Maybe you have a Johnny OneNote or a Janie OneNote. Doesn't matter what we're talking about. It always goes back to the same old thing. One of the favorite one notes is politics. You know, they'll always bring it back to their political agenda or whatever it is. And you're just like, really? I was talking about Turkey. Well, Turkey politician, I guess it fits. Okay, whatever. How about this one? Everybody else's kids. You know, you show up and your kids are doing all right. But you wonder how in the world you grew up in the same family with your siblings because they are doing it all wrong with their kids. I mean, they are just messing up the program, you know, and you're and you're sitting there at dinner and you're trying to parent their child over the turkey. You're going to you're going to fix them in two hours. And every time one of these holidays comes up, you're like, I read a book this time. I know I know the fix. I know the fix. The opposite side, of course, is every family at least has one family that is just too perfect. Everything is floating great. Everything's just right. Got everything. Got the cash. Got the smile. Got, I mean, everything. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Or maybe you have a mother-in-law that acts something like this. The puppet master. The, the, the mother-in-law that makes sure that, you know, dinner's at one o'clock so all the snacks disappear at 1030 because we've got to make sure that we're full for everything is being maneuvered, manipulated. And, and you walk in and you're just feeling like a seven-year-old all over again. And your inner seven-year-old wants to lay down in the floor and just start throwing a fit. You're just, you can't stand this stuff. What this does is it brings out your inner kitty. You know, you're just like, hey, you're just furious. You can't stand it. It makes you crazy. In fact, maybe their cat is the thing that makes you nuts. So I just thought we'd give you about 30 seconds. Turn to someone else. What's the irritant for you? What's the thing that irritates you or annoys you? It doesn't have to be Thanksgiving. It can be work. It can be driving here. I don't care. Just what's your irritant? 30 seconds. Go for it. Start talking. All right, come back to the room. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you yours except for this, okay? For how many of you was your irritant the fact that we ask you to do these stupid questions? All right, I knew, if he, I knew a few of you would be honest with the Lord. That's fantastic. Anyway, yeah, there are things in life that bug us, that irritate us, that annoy us. And, and some of you do a little bit better than the rest of us. 
Some of you kind of go with the flow. I'm sure something irritates you, but, but overall you're pretty good. And then there's the rest of us who notice the imperfections of life, and we've got to fix them. We've got to change them. We've got to do something about them. Uh, the word for these annoying, strange, odd people in our lives, Sherry, I think my click died. Okay. Is idiosyncrasies. They have idiosyncrasies, and so do you. It's a characteristic habit, mannerism, or like that is peculiar to an individual. Stress on the word peculiar. There's something about them that's just outright strange. Now, here's the thing. When we see their idiosyncrasies, we become petty, of small importance, trivial, marked by narrowness of mind, ideas or views, marked by meanness or lack of generosity, especially in trifling matters. The fact is, if we were to stop long enough and look, we'd realize we are being incredibly petty about other people's idiosyncrasies. We're not giving them enough space to just be them. We're not giving, you know what? You're weird too. I'm weird too. We're all weird. I mean, that's the way it works. You are the challenge in someone else's life that's helping them either to grow closer to God or to be pushed further away from God. God gives us humans in our lives as a, as a, as a learning opportunity, an opportunity to grow in an area that, honestly, we want to resist growing. We just don't want to go there. And so God will do something even like bringing a strange relative to Thanksgiving to say, I know you just wanted to eat turkey today. But even this is an opportunity to grow, to be like Jesus. So you feel like there's no peace, but the truth is Jesus wants you to know peace in your life. Just like the video this morning, we're just going to barrage you with a bunch of verses. Because God has a lot to say, not just about forgiveness. And sometimes the word forgiveness is going to come up. But God has a lot to say about dealing with other people's annoyances. Dealing with the things that bug us with other people. Because guess what? People bugged each other during Jesus' time too. Do you not think that Peter irritated the crud out of at least half of the disciples? I mean, seriously, every, probably the only person everybody got along with was Judas. You know, I'm serious. Everybody else, they were like, oh, he drives you nuts. He smells like fish. I mean, you know, they're, they're doing all, they, they can't stand being around these guys. And, and it really didn't come down to you offended me or you've done something sinful to me. It's just your presence offends me. The way you act offends me. The way you talk offends me. The way you form a word offends me. There are things that we just allow ourselves to get really irritated about. So what does Paul say about this in the Bible? Make allowance for each other's faults. That is not a suggestion. That is a biblical command. It is a biblical command that when someone else in life is irritating, to make allowance for their faults. Notice it doesn't necessarily say their sins. Their faults, the areas where they fall short, the areas that they don't measure up to your glorious standard. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. So he does bring it into the context of, offense, of, of forgiveness as well. I want you to look at the whole context of that verse. <clears throat> Paul says, starting Colossians 3.12, Since God chose you to be holy people he loves. There's the agenda, right? Since God chose to grow you to become like his son. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy. Tender-hearted mercy sounds like something quite the opposite of judgmental, vindictive, angry. I mean, tender-hearted mercy. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. All words that mark the person who's a holy person. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. He always likes to throw that in there. By the way, you've been forgiven a lot. God, Jesus has forgiven you a lot. Above all, clothe yourself in love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. There's that way that we can know peace following the scripture. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. So God's saying part of the way we're going to live in peace is to learn how to make allowance for each other's faults and each other's weaknesses. And always, always, always be thankful. Ephesians 4, 2, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Paul delivers this message in Colossae. He delivers it in Ephesus. He delivers it practically everywhere there's a human because he knows that there are areas that we're just not going to get along. So expand it in the entire context. <clears throat> Therefore, I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And you have been called by God. So again, in one passage, he's saying, 
you're called to grow in holiness. He's saying, on the other hand, you, you need to live a life worthy of the calling to which God has called you. What does that look like? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. And you'll see this theme again and again in the Bible that it basically says peace doesn't just happen. We work at it. We've got to work at it. We've got to work hard. When you get a bunch of humans in the same room, we've got to work hard at forgiving each other, overlooking faults, overlooking differences that we have with each other. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of you know it well because it was quoted at your wedding. You're familiar with it. It talks about what real love is all about. As you go along in this passage, it says it does not, it is not irritable. All right? And it keeps no record of being wronged. One translation puts it this way. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Can you grow to the point that you hardly even notice? That you don't walk into the room looking to be offended. You don't walk into the room expecting to be irritated. But you actually come with the presence of Christ in such a way that you're able to say, I'm not even going to notice. I'm not going to pick up this bag and carry it. I'm going to leave it alone. Proverbs 19.11. Solomon writes, good sense makes one slow to anger. Or in other words, if you have no sense, you're quick to anger, right? Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Now look at it in a different version to get the understanding. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Here's the thing. If you're a person who's always irritated, who's always offended, other people start to realize you're petty. They start to read you and see you as a petty person. And it's the person who is able to overlook these things that receives the honor and respect of being a person who's able to rise above it all instead of always getting down in the mud of it. So, What's the path to relational peace? And I'm not necessarily saying relational peace in the sense that that the two of us are going to get a... If you start overlooking offenses, it doesn't mean their irritating ways are going to go away. So really what this peace comes down to is more what's going on inside of me than even what's going on on in the relationship. What's, What's the path to this? The first is humility. Christ calls us, and we saw this already in several passages, Christ calls us to be humble people, Paul says in Romans 12, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourselves as better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Not measuring ourselves by the biggest dope in the room. Measuring ourselves by the grace God has given us. High standard. So what is he saying? We need some humility to stop looking around the room and saying, I'm the best thing sitting here. Like I said, honestly, if you don't think you have quirks, you live in the land of great self-delusion. We all have quirks. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with each other. This, again, is something we, we work at. It doesn't just happen. The harmony we experience as self-fielders is not a harmony that just happened because we moved into a building a year ago. We've worked at this harmony. We've worked at this kind of unity. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. God calls on us to be people of humility. And that's one path to experiencing some of this relational peace. Another, self-control. Think before responding. Now, here's the thing with these irritants. My goodness, we always want to fix them. We say some of the dumbest things when they do the dumbest things. They are not, if we were to go back and recount, our reactions have not been the finer moments of our lives. They've usually brought out something that we've said that we go, man, I wish I could take it back. I wish I hadn't said that. But they irritated us so much that we just went, boom. And God's saying, this is an opportunity to develop some self-control. Peter 
1 Peter chapter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate insult when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Saying, be careful about your reactions and your responses. Paul says basically the same thing in Romans 12, that we've got to be careful not to be people who are quick to take revenge. And revenge isn't, you know, going out into the driveway and slashing their tires. Very often revenge is making the irritating person look stupid so that everybody at the table will laugh. That's our revenge. That's the way we we retaliate. We do something that calls attention to their idiosyncrasy, and everybody does the nervous giggle. And in that moment, we think we've pointed out something great, and what we've done is we've repaid evil with evil in a sense. We've done what we can to call out something in their life that is less than what it should be. So Paul's saying, live better than that. Instead, be kind. Be, Be kind. Do the right thing in that situation. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Third element to the path is love. Paul says, I I just want you to live. And Peter says, I want you to live at a level of love that is able to overcome offense. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, and you probably know this verse, at least in some way. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. It's our love that is able to cover the things that we see in other people. In fact, maybe even sometimes make up for their weakness. Ephesians 4, 2 says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because of your love. It's because of love that we're motivated to do this. Proverbs ten twelve says, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. Folks, this is what it looks like to live like Christ. At your, at your Christmas table. This is what the few days you're all going to be stuck together. These verses show us what it looks like to live in a Christ-like way instead of a way that is just out of our flesh. Another path to, um, another path to relational peace is reflection. To stop long enough to think. And we've seen a variation of this thought a couple of times already. Remember It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Paul says a very similar thing in Ephesians 4.32. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Or in other words, what are we reading here? We get a realistic view of our relationship with God, that God has forgiven a whole bunch of our offenses. And we take it to other people and we start to realize people have put up with a lot of junk in us too. They put up with a lot of junk in us, and they've been merciful in putting up with us, and we need to live the same way. So now I'm giving you a new command. Jesus said, love each other just as I have loved you. Reflect on what it means to love someone else the way Jesus has loved you. The final piece of the path to relational peace is tenderness. Tenderness. If we were to define it, tenderness is easily moved to love, to pity, or to sorrow. I posted a story this past week uh, from my hometown. So I live several miles away growing up from Love Canal. You heard of that? The, the, the bad sludge that was in the ground that was causing all kinds of problems for human beings. As it turns out, all of western New York is basically a toxic dump. I mean, everywhere you turn, they're revealing something. Uh, uh, there's a park I used to mow in the parks department. Now it has fencing all around it saying, don't go here, you'll die. So there's this neighborhood that my dad grew up in. And there's an old gas works there, and um, they used to turn, convert coal to gas, and real interesting primitive process that they actually quit in the 20s. But there's a lot of junk buried there, a lot of junk buried there. And what's happened now, in the video that, that I watched this past week, the place I literally used to sit with a fishing pole as a 10-year-old, they've got it all roped off, all, you know, don't go here, because through the decades, that sludge has now eased its way on in to the canal. And so they got a big old crane there, and they're just scooping out the coal tar now that has eased its way, seeped its way through the basements, through the sump pumps, and it's finally made its way over to the canal. And that's the way life is for a lot of us. We keep storing up our little bitter moments We keep storing up our little offenses. We keep storing up our little irritants. And we don't think they're really affecting us. 
But we keep storing them up and storing them up and storing them up. And you know what happens in time? We grow incredibly bitter. And we often think of bitterness in terms of when we've been offended by sin. Folks, bitterness happens when we just collect irritants. And we allow our hearts to grow hardened instead of remaining tenderhearted. This is years ago now. I'm standing in the kitchen of my house with a person from church, nobody you know, standing there, and she's explaining to me how the length of my pants irritate her. She can't listen to me preach because of the length of my pants. I am not joking. And this conversation went on for quite some time. About the, and, I'm, and I'm just sitting there going, you're not able to hear God's word because of the length of my pants. Do you think the coal tar perhaps had seeped into her canal? <laughs> Folks, this is what we do all the time. And I should give lists of the ways I've done it myself because it's happened to me too, where I let something incredibly petty, incredibly petty rule my life. And God says, you can't be living that way. Don't live that way. Live as a tender-hearted person. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Here's the problem. We dwell on the irritation. We, we actually ramp up for the irritation. We're ready to be mad. We're ready to be upset. And in the process, rather than having a tender and soft heart, we have a bitter, cold heart the size of a chestnut. And it is hard to crack. And God says, I don't want you to live that way. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out, for the, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows to trouble you, corrupting many. So you've got to be careful of this. Bitterness is insidious. You don't think you're being impacted by all these little offenses you're collecting. And over time, you just grow an incredibly cold heart. Romans 12, 9 and 10 says, Don't pretend to love each other. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is a a tender heart speaking. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, malice, harsh words. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. God wants us to, to develop that tenderness within us. So, sometimes when we give five things, it's like, oh man, I can't do all that. Which one? Which one's the area that you could actually start to experience some growth if you focused on it for the next 30 days? If, if you just grabbed that one and said, this is the one that I'm going to focus on this Christmas season. I suspect for a lot of us it would come down to this tenderness thing. That if we were to look at our hearts right now, we'd realize that our hearts have become cold and insensitive and uncaring to other people. Because we've collected, we've collected our irritations. We've collected our offenses. We've treasured them in our heart. And in the process, our heart has become bitter and cold and hard. And so for a lot of us, knowing peace may begin with this today. That as we move into a time of communion, you may need to just sit in the presence of Christ long enough to say, I am sorry. I'm supposed to be storing up treasures And instead, I've been storing up junk. I've been storing up garbage. And it's keeping me from being able to enjoy and appreciate the life you've given me. I got news for you. Every one of those people in that picture, they're still going to be there. But if you actually start looking at yourself as a holy, godly person who's trying to grow to be like Christ, you'll be able to let it go. You'll be able to let it go instead of holding on to it. And in a sixth sense, cherishing in our hearts our irritants and our offenses. So let me pray with you right now. Father God in heaven, I pray for me, I pray for all of us, that you would give us soft, tender, pliable hearts. God, we've become very cold and calloused. Um, Sometimes it is by major offenses. Sometimes it's by things that people have done that have just been desperately wicked but the truth is god a lot of times it just comes from little petty things along the way that we've decided to treasure in our time this morning i pray that you would 
begin to develop in us, grow in us a, a journey to a new place. A new place where we do not treasure and cherish the things that we should let go. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we move into our Advent reflection, we'll be reading scripture and then again a, a short reading from a booklet by um, Ruth Haley Barton called Advent Reflections. And all of these have been having to do with just preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ. Luke chapter 3, the reading for today says, John said, this is John the Baptist, said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds who asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered them all by saying, I baptize with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not, one, I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. Isaiah 12, 2. In this week's gospel reading, John the Baptist is on a rant. I guess we could describe it more delicately by calling it a prophetic message, but really, any sermon that starts out by calling its listeners a brood of vipers is in a category all by itself. This message isn't seeker-friendly, seeker-sensitive, or even serious churchgoer-friendly. It's not finely nuanced for the, for the various target audiences, nor was it even carefully crafted. But here's the thing. The crowd was eating it up. They actually lean in closer and ask, what then should we do? So John goes on to describe repentance in very concrete terms. He challenges them with the idea that repentance is more than just feeling badly about our sins in a private sort of way. He says that there are fruits associated with repentance that should be evident in the rough and tumble of real life. If we have two coats, a sign of affluence and great material wealth, repentance involves sharing what we have. If we deal with other people's money and finances, we need to become more honest and fair. If we're a soldier fighting for peace or a public servant representing the government, we are to use our position for the good of others rather than using it to gain more for ourselves. The most surprising result of this hard-hitting conversation is that the people are filled with expectation. Rather than dismissing John because of his rough, unpolished exterior and his incriminating message, their hearts are strangely moved. What they are hearing resonates with such truth that they, are that they start to wonder if he is the Messiah. Their humility and receptivity, receptivity re prepares them to receive the deepest heart of John's message, which is where the real hope lies. One who is more powerful than I is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So our servers are coming in a moment, and you'll receive a tray with bread on the inside and cup on the outside. Take one of each and use this for a time of reflection. Um, and as you do, the question is simply this. Where is God calling me to confess sin and bear fruit worthy of repentance? So in light of what we've talked about this morning, 
in terms of our relationships, areas that we tend to be petty instead of um, tenderhearted? Where are some areas that God is calling us to confess that sin and bear in Fred instead relational fruit that is worthy of the repentance and forgiveness that we've been given? So our servers are coming right now to collect the offering. We have a few things for you to share with you as we get going. One of them is that Brian turned 26 yesterday, which was pretty cool. I thought it'd be kind of fun for you to share uh, what what Riley did for you, where you went, what did you do? Yeah, so my fiance's awesome. Um, she's not here, so I can say that. Uh, no, she she actually, I know. I can't say that next to her. Yeah, no. okay, all right. Um, no, she actually, she took me to the Shedd Aquarium. I, I love penguins along with puppies, but I, I, I love penguins, all right? I'm all for the cute little animals, right? So Riley surprised me yesterday morning, uh, took me to the Shedd Aquarium. I'm like, oh, well, I've been to the Shedd, and sure enough, we walk into this room that I had never been into, and I'm getting handed a name tag being told I'm getting to pet a penguin. So I got to pet a penguin yesterday, which was so cool. It was awesome. Yeah, and it makes up for all the disappointments of his childhood. Because uh, we went to the she Milwaukee Zoo one time, and the penguin display was closed. So we thought, we'll make up for this. We went to SeaWorld. 
this play closed. So, yeah, Brian's been traumatized a lot as a kid. And you know what's funny? That, that explains the, a lot, the, right? The penguin exhibit at the shed is actually closed right oh, now. But word. they do this experience. So, it's yeah, just, yeah so, it's, okay, it's a cool. curse. They're after you. <laughs> so... Um, What's going on with students? So students are doing a really cool thing, getting involved in Rethink Christmas this week. Uh, on Wednesday night, our junior hires in Refuge are going to be um, putting together emergency packs for homeless people. They're going to be uh, all the supplies that you guys delivered to us. Our junior hires are going to be working together in different teams, putting all these bags together, making sure that they all look the same, you know, all have the same stuff in it. And then on Saturday, our high schoolers are actually going to go downtown Chicago and deliver them. Uh, I was downtown yesterday. We ended up after the shed, walked around, hit Michigan Avenue, just walking, just looking. Obviously, I didn't buy anything there. Uh, But there are a lot of shoppers out there. You know what else I saw a lot of? Homeless people. They know know where the money's at. They know where to go uh, to to ask for money. And this is going to be a really cool opportunity for us as they get blown by by shopper after shopper after shopper, for our high schoolers to be able to stop, not only deliver this bag of things that is going to help them survive for a few more weeks in the, in the cold outside, uh, but also to have a conversation and maybe learn their name, maybe have their name said for the first time mm-hmm. in months. Mm-hmm. So again, it's, it's going to be a challenging day, uh, but be praying for both our junior highs on a Wednesday night for packing them and our, then again our, our high schoolers um, on Saturday. Great. Christmas Eve. Do you know the times? Yeah, three thirty and five. Good job. Nice. I'm Which one are you come on to? It. I will be at both. Yeah, you will. So yeah. good. All right, got that down. That's good. That's good. So uh, yeah, Christmas Eve, three thirty and five. Some of you are wondering why it's so early because that's what you like. I mean, that's what we've heard from you is that it. it you know, when we do it like seven o'clock at night, we're breaking into the middle of all your family stuff. So we went earlier, and and so that that explains why. Literally, as church was starting this morning, at 9.14, I got an email. I'd like to thank the lady that dropped off the Santa cookies at Casey's. Didn't get a chance to talk to her because it was super busy. It was nice to have some people. It's nice to know some people still have kindness in their hearts. Along with the cookie was a Southfield Church card. Thanks again. We appreciate the nice gesture. Merry Christmas. That's cool. That's cool. What that says is uh, we're starting to make a little dent in the darkness, right? This is about letting the light shine before the community so that they can see our good works and point to God and understand that. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what's coming this week. And rather than a video, we have a list for you. It's in your, it's in your folder this morning as well so you can see what's going on. Uh, all kinds of cool stuff happening this week. Tuesday, I'm going to be delivering cupcakes to 21 different churches. That'll be fun, just showing up and saying Merry Christmas to other churches in our area. Uh, what else you got there, Bri? So we've got our random, act, thing, but random go act of kindness Wednesday is still going on. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of cool pictures from this past week. Gas cards are also still available. Uh, we are going to be handing those out. So again, I, I had a really cool experience with mine this week, actually, and I want to share, share the story really quickly. Uh, I went and got my hair cut this past week, and yeah, I know it looks really good. Thank you for saying something. Um, but I, I decided to give my gas card to, on top of a tip, I gave my gas card to the lady who cut my hair. And she was kind of taken back. She's like, oh, wow, this is, this is really cool. And it, it sparked a conversation that ended up leading, you know, I was like, yeah, hey, I'm doing this. I'm not just doing this randomly. I'm doing this on behalf of uh, my church and, and my God. And I was able to share uh, what, it all, what it was all about. Uh, and, yeah, it was, just, it was really cool that then right after that, she felt so uh, moved that she decided to give me a gift as well. So she gave me three free haircuts, which is <laughs> the cool thing about that is now I get to turn around and give those away too. So, I mean, I, I'm thinking about throwing those uh, to someone on, on Saturday when the high schoolers go, t- go downtown. Uh, but j- just again... These gas cards, if you, you know, if you, if you slip it on or if you leave it on the, the pump or put it underneath someone's windshield wiper, that's cool. But having the conversation is way, way worth it. Yeah, so the gas cards are still available today, right? Yes. You can buy those for 10 bucks and then give those to, to just somebody. Again, we're not doing your Christmas shopping for you. This isn't a stocking stuffer. This is a chance to just give this to, to a random stranger. Now, last week at the end of the video, it told us to um, plan to go out to dinner this week. And, and here's what that's about. 
We have 300 of these. They're hand scrubs. This one is called peppermint sugar scrub, and this one is called barbecued meat scrub. Can you imagine all day long? Rub, 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 scrub. What's the it's difference? It's not for your hands. It's not for your hands. This is for your meat? Please don't. Dang, I thought this was for your hands. I've been using this all week. What the heck? Oh, no. made me hungry. Scrub, rub. Look at that. They're, they're different. They are different. Right. Yes, so, they are. So These will be out on the table out as you leave. Um, again, what I, what how am I, I doing, suggest, Christina? How am I doing with your announcement? What I would suggest is that you... We're, our goal is to give these to servers. So if you want to go out, if you go out to lunch today, even if it's just in the drive-thru, hand one of these out. Now, my suggestion would be if you take one of the peppermint ones, don't hand it to a guy. Uh, but everybody loves barbecue. So you can, again, hand those out. If you don't get a chance to go out to eat today, you can hand it out throughout the week. Uh, my dad will be rubbing it on his hands and probably his face the whole week. Uh, but be sure, be sure to hit someone uh, with one of these this week. And you can, take, you can take as many as you think you can hand out. Now, if you, if you take four because you think you can hand out four, really cool. If you take four because you're going to hand out one and keep three for your hands. Uh, God knows. He's watching. So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm not just rethinking Christmas. I'm rethinking my entire existence here. This is just bad. Anyway, now here's the thing he didn't mention that's really important. This is not in lieu of tip. All right? Don't do that. You're going to leave this with our name on it. You better leave a good tip. All right? This is no, I'm going to leave 35 cents and some great rub. I'm not going to do that, okay? So leave a nice tip, make sure that they know they are loved, and then leave them a scrub or a rub, depending on what you want to do. Can we just go? All right. Stand up. Yikes. All right. Hi. See, what you really need to do is overlook other people's idiosyncrasies and faults. So have a great day. Bye. It came upon the midnight clear that glorious song of
to hear.